Well, there's a concept called evil user stories, which is, all right, now that this is built, if a bad guy wanted to get all of the social security numbers out of that, that you could get to from that website, what could they do to do that? Hey everyone, welcome back to Going Deep There in Watson. My guest today, Joe Wynn, is the co-founder of CISO. CISO is a fractional chief information security officer for hire that brands of all shapes and sizes engage with to better protect the data of their employees and customers. In this conversation, we talk about some best practices of information security, how Joe has thought about building his firm, and the way that they have established recurring revenue. This is a really good conversation for anyone that manages customer data or is trying to build a client services business. I took a lot away from it. Here is Joe Wynn. You're listening to Going Deep with Aaron Watson. Joe, thanks for coming on the podcast. I'm excited to be talking with you. Hey, it's great to be here. Thanks for inviting me. So let's start off. Um, you know, people talk about the C-suite. They talk about CXOs. There's been this proliferation from the early days when it was really uh, a CEO, a COO, a CFO, and it's slowly proliferated, pro- proliferated into all these other different roles. What is a CISO? Uh, CISO, CISO is a chief information security officer. It's the person who has the highest level responsibility in organizations for the security program, for managing information security, for care and feeding for how companies handle private information, other people's if they're providing those kind of services, if they're handling uh, their own information, how the company protects that stuff. And so would Another way of saying that basically be data security for the organization. Data security also goes, you hear cybersecurity, information security. They all become very synonymous now. Gotcha. And so your firm, CISO, S-E-I-S-O, basically brings that service to firms that either haven't, can't, or won't hire internally for that type of function? Is that a proper definition? We, we do that and we do a lot more. Uh, we like to help companies engineer really effective security programs. And what I mean by that is that you have a security program that you may not even have a security program. You may just have an IT shop and you try to do your patches and you try to manage what might be the risks that you're thinking about or hear about, but you haven't formalized anything. And we're re- we really want to help companies is to put in a formalized um, information security program. And so, and and a lot of companies, even those that have a CISO, named CISO, um, they may not actually have given them the quite, the right level of responsibility, the the level of uh, accountability and uh, the tools, the budget to make it happen. So in some companies, it might not even, it might get a C title, but they're really not an officer. And then I know some companies that might even take a, um, a CISO and give them that um, or just call it an ISO, information security officer. And a lot of companies just director of security or director of information security. Um, so what we'd help with in, in some organizations is come in and we'll work with the leaders or work with uh, the head of IT and we'll help them organize up a proper security program. 
our company, CISO, we try to avoid doing daily activities um, because we really need that to be done inside of an organization. But if you're thinking about where we can help, it's what needs done on a monthly basis, uh, annual, and in between uh, in order to make the security program function and really be able to take it to a point where you're managing risk. And security risk is just another form of business risk. And so uh, while we'll help with uh, vCISO services, CISO as a service, we'll also help engineer a security program with the eventual goal to have that company stop needing us. And Basically run to, the playbook that you gave them in order to continue to perpetuate their Absolutely, habits. yeah. So what are some of the like monthly things that you would be recommending firms to do? And how does that vary given the size of the firm? Because, I, you know, I mean, candidly, there's just constraints to say an org that's under 20 people mm-hmm. versus a proper, you know, multinational Fortune 500 type of brand. Yeah, that's a great question. The smaller organizations and the large ones depending what kind of data they're processing, they still need to manage risk. They still need to understand, um, you know, you ask, like, what are the various uh, repeatable activities they need to do? Yeah. One of those activities might be, let's review all the user accounts and make sure that we've really turned off anybody who's left the organization. Or if we brought somebody in, say we brought in you to help us with a function and we gave you an account for a couple weeks and then you left, but you still maintain that access to that account. And say we parted ways poorly, that you would still have access into our stuff and who knows what you'd be able to do with that. So as a small organization, you should still remove user accounts or turn user accounts off when people leave. You should still do your patching of your systems. Uh, you know, you're running a MacBook, I'm running a Windows system. Uh, we each get various patches. Um, Microsoft puts out patches every month. You need to make sure those get applied and tested and installed or a vulnerability might come along that is patching and somebody might come along and exploit that vulnerability and take advantage of it. And that could happen through a simple phishing attack uh, where somebody tricks you into clicking on a link in an email and then exploits a vulnerability that you could have avoided because you did one of those routine things like patching your system. Other things that we help with is uh, not really getting in there and patching the systems, but helping you put a program in place so that you have who's the uh, accountable person who's going to make sure the patches are applied. And when they are applied, do you check it uh, on a routine basis? Do you do any sort of routine risk assessments? Do you do any sort of um, routine updates of your policies and republish those? And a very important one is security awareness. Uh, even a small 10 or 20 person company and those that are multi-billion dollar companies, they need to train their people on what they need to do on a uh, regular basis so that they understand what a phishing attack looks like, for example, or what a bad website or a malicious website might be. And what's so interesting to me as you describe something like this, I think to to those that aren't in cybersecurity, aren't in, have never maybe heard of a CISO or, or would feel Uh, maybe intimidated by the potential responsibility of that, you're really speaking to still, at its core, managing people. Mm -hmm. To some degree, we have to hope that, you know, the third-party software vendors that that we're using have good, you know, hygiene and cybersecurity practices on, on their front. But most of the kind of attack vectors, whether it be a disgruntled former employee or a human falling for a phishing attack that ends up in their inbox, is very much people as the attack vector versus the kind of more, um, you know, maybe stylized by Hollywood interpretation of this hacker that like gets Mm -hmm. into the code base behind whatever 
uh, thing and is able to have their exploit via the technology versus the human. Yeah, and, and both of those make sense and they both happen. So on the people side and people is they're, they're your weakest link. And so you need to be able to make sure that they're trained on those activities. And so when we look to put a security program in place, um, tying back to what does our company do, we might help companies get audit ready. Say they want to get an ISO 27001 security program in place so they get certified, or they want to follow the uh, NIST cybersecurity framework in order to put a, a program in place. Uh, it all comes back to figuring out for those that have responsibilities to actually carry out the program, are they competent? Are they trained? Do they have their own playbook that they run by? And then for everybody else who's out doing the work, uh, you're absolutely right. They might click on a link and they need to be trained uh, how to identify a, um, a malicious email. And on the other side, though, you could have software developers who engineer awesome websites, but those websites might lead to access to your customer's critical information. And those websites could be exploited as well. And those could be taken advantage of. Uh, and so you're right, it comes back to the people because there were software developers who engineered the uh, system. Those engineering uh, routines and practices should have went through some kind of security check before they went to production. And so you can build the most awesome website and never put really good security into it. And then once you publish it to the internet, the billions of computers in the world that can access that, people will try to attack it. And when they attack it, they might find that flaw that allows them to uh, bypass what they thought was security and get into some data store. And then once that data store is uh, accessible from um, you know the internet because somebody didn't properly secure a website, that becomes a vulnerability that uh, could lead to the data being exfiltrated. So when you're thinking about building a team for this, whether that's your own firm, whether that's you know the the you know practices or the kind of consulting you would do for one of your clients, what is what are you looking for when it comes to information security talent? Because I, I can tell you from like mm -hmm. the marketing standpoint, you know we want people who can tell a good story, who show some aesthetic taste in their ability, whether that be graphic design or video to make something look good. You know the, the, we we kind of have these things that we point to very clearly that make for a better marketer than not. What are you looking for with that InfoSec talent and where are you going to find it? We, we look for people who are curious. They want to learn. They have a passion for uh, more than just uh, coming into work every day. But those best resources, they're the ones that when we interview, we say, do you have a home lab? And they say, yes, we do. And like, tell me about that. And all of a sudden you learn that these people have uh, set up their own environment using like if you've heard of VMware or other kind of tools that create a virtual environment where you can run multiple PC, virtual PCs on one, and they create like a vulnerable one, and then they try to attack it, and they try to figure out what's wrong. And so people who are curious like that and try to just figure these things out, and it's more than a nine-to-five job for them. So, so mm -hmm. what that sounds like is almost, I, I've seen these people who like get really into lockpicking, and not yeah. necessarily because they want to go out and you know exploit people they just have like the, the the their kind of curiosity is directed towards finding out the machinations of this device mm -hmm. and why it comes apart there's actually a tiktok account where he, he just hates master lock and he's uh -huh. like if you get this you might as well just like not lock your door because it's so easy to pick or whatever and i've just internalized that message from him but basically what you're saying is like a digital version of that where mm -hmm. you're in the lock picking in a, a VMware type of environment? Uh, absolutely. You can actually uh, install software that's built to be vulnerable. 
so that you can test your ability to figure out how to break into it following playbooks and guides that uh, that exist as part of your own training. And when we find people like that, we know that we're really on to somebody. Um, and in fact, uh, you know, you got me thinking my own lockpick sets in my bag right now. <laughs> I love doing that as well. It's just sitting there and tinkering and being able to exploit the weaknesses in the device to be able to uh, have the lock pop open is, is an awesome feeling. So how did you... I guess, realize that this was something that you were into because, you know, they do the different like Myers-Briggs types or what, whatever mm-hmm. the thing may be. And it seems like there, there's a there's a kind of curious disassembly type of part to the personality. But there's also this personality that's that's maybe more oriented towards the potential for loss. Like to, to contradict that with me, I'm, I'm sure my information security is not ideal and you would find some some holes in my game if you were to look over things i'm always oriented towards the yeah but what if towards the positive like what what if what if this happened what if that happened what if that happened Mm -hmm. and it seems like the other part of it is a mentality that's but what if that was exploited but what if that happened that was bringing in a a kind of negative bent not to not to say like that's bad i think it's really good that that occurs but that has to be a part of the kind of mental framework i would imagine yeah so you want to think about it in terms of um something is built to work in a certain way and then people who have this uh, mentality around information security they want to think about it from the terms of well what can i do that wasn't meant to be done and so when you're building software you might do uh you might do user stories and then testing about uh, is, is the product you're building working the way the user expected. Well, there's a concept called evil user stories, which is, all right, now that this is built, if a bad guy wanted to get all of the social security numbers out of that that you could get to from that website, what could they do to do that? And are there ways of around it? And it's the, uh, the mentality of uh, and the feeling of, can I find something that wasn't expected to be able to be done? and make it work. Like for example, you go to a normal, you see the person pick the lock with a credit card and and that's kind of doable on bad configurations of locks on doors. And uh, it wasn't meant to be open that way. You're supposed to put the key in and turn it or open it from the other side. But if you can go and slide the uh, lever across with a credit card or a, a screwdriver, then you can open the door and it's the same thing. It's like, well, it wasn't meant to be used that way, but it could be. And so that's the same thing that happens in the uh, minds of folks who uh, really like to find um, vulnerabilities and kind of dig into that. They look for something that could happen, wasn't intended to, but you can use it to take advantage of that. So take me through the sales process for this type of service, because the other thing that I was considering was, you know, when I sell, if you're if you're selling sales, if you're selling marketing, it's very optimistic. It's, hey, imagine if more revenue is coming in the door. Hey, imagine if your leads were warmer. Hey, imagine blah, blah, blah. This is much more a sales process around, like you said, taking risk off the table. That's maybe a more kind of optimistic term, but it's also like, hey, imagine if like you're, you had a data breach and you had to disclose that to people or whatever it may be. Like, how are, how are you going about selling this to the different clients that you serve? Oh, that's a great question. We we try to avoid any kind of what's called FUD, fear, uncertainty, and doubt. Yeah. Because we hate that. Uh, my co-founder, John, and I, we have, I guess, become salespeople because we started a security company uh, where we want to help companies engineer great security programs. And we're really turned off by your traditional salespeople who try to scare you into needing something. What we look for is how can security help an organization 
become a uh, competitive advantage for them. So a lot of companies, they'll call us up because they are getting calls from their own clients who are saying, all right, now everybody's getting hacked. If you look at the news, there's always another news report of a data breach and a compromise. And uh, when that happens, uh, we want to know that when we outsource part of our business to you, and then those people are our um, our clients who might be calling us up saying, our client asked us to tell them how we're securing our program or securing our uh, in, how our security program is in place to help protect their information. And we're not quite sure how to answer that question. We know we're doing a lot of good things, but there's probably a lot of, like you said, holes in, in our program. Help us figure out how to do this. And so we'll get calls when somebody wants to uh, win business faster, is how we'll put it. If they hit a certain point of the negotiation process where the security team at their uh, potential client gets called in and, and uh, says, we're going to outsource part of our work to this other company, and the security team will come in and say, well, let's evaluate the security of that company. Let's ask them all these questions. When they don't know how to answer that, they call us. Got it. Interesting. So how, okay. So that actually made me think of a, a recent interview that we did with Cameron Khajive of, uh, um, blanking on the name of his, Coop.ai. And they occupy a similar place where they're doing uh, insurance for autonomous vehicles. Mm-hmm. And the same type of thing. If you're going to buy an autonomous vehicle, you want to like understand that some of the risks are taken off the table as the buyer, and they're coming in and assisting in the sales process, basically saying, "Hey, you know, we actually have an insurance program in place that's going to, you know, control for these different vectors." Very similar. Yeah, I would say that um, when organizations get to the point where they want to have uh, their security program be, and, and some companies will actually go and get a certified security program like an ISO. Do you know what ISO is? ISO? I've heard of it, but but lay it out. International Standards Organization, ISO. uh, You might have heard of ISO 9000 for quality. There's an ISO standard called 27001, ISO 27001, which is the quality of an information security management system. So an information security management system really is uh, a lot of um, complex words in order to say we have a security program. It's documented. We write down what we intend to do, and then we go do that, and we have evidence that can show that we've done it. And when you do that consistently, you may want to get that audited. Uh, and when you get audited by an accredited third party, uh, those and we don't we're not auditors. We're not going to come in and audit it, but we'll help you get ready for the audit. And then what happens is that when your clients are calling you up and they say, "How are you protecting my data? Do you have a security certification?" Do you do all this list of things? You might be able to give them your um, ISO certification, and that might be all they need in order to be okay. And when when a company has that done, it helps them get business done faster. And so that's not that different, you know, in maybe a more accessible sense of, you know, if something is certified organically, you get this third-party certification that you've kind of offloaded the verification or responsibility for that has, they've done the work to be a kind of more universal standard for what something may be. Mm -hmm. And therefore your brand gets to draft off of that by doing the requisite work in order to abide by their rules. Sometimes, um, well, sometimes our company might help them do those monthly, semi-annual, annual activities uh, that help them keep the evidence alive and help them do the actual pieces of the security program. And then sometimes the organization will internalize that, invest in it enough, have all the right people, and be able to do do that work. 
How has it changed over the last decade? Because I have to imagine that, you know, I think about like even just old school methods for both software and hardware of like an on-prem solution or a, you know, software that's sold once and then that's just what the software is for the next couple of years until mm-hmm. you buy the next version to something where like my iPhone apps are updating all the time. Like you're saying, Microsoft is dropping these new updates for your, your OS with regularity. Um, I have to imagine that what the standard that was once appropriate is probably not appropriate in a world of constant iteration of software products and updates and what have you. Like just as as a practitioner in this space, what has changed? Plus the explosion of data. I'm I'm, mm-hmm. I'm rambling now, but there's also the explosion of data that's being collected that wasn't the case maybe a decade yeah, or two ago. I, I like to answer that question in like two pieces. There's the information security management process. And that doesn't really change a lot because it's all around, and we we like to take it and make it more common sense at a company and create a sense of uh, balance and transparency. I mean, that's the secret, I think, to any good security program, balance and transparency. What you were mentioning is the evolving, uh, as technology evolves, threats are going to evolve. There's this cat and mouse race against protecting things better. The bad guys look how to exploit it better. And then you keep uh, going back and forth. 10 years ago, you may not have had the cloud kind of the same way. You've had people have servers in their data centers. And then when they have servers in their data centers, they have certain risks, but they don't have other kinds of risks. Risks they might have in their own data center is patching the underlying infrastructure replacing servers when they start to get old and that kind of thing. And then when you have it in the cloud, um, Microsoft or AWS, uh, Amazon, and and those organizations will, uh, they'll, they'll take care of some of the underlying work. You'll outsource that to them. They'll be responsible for it. You'll be responsible for securing the things on top of it. Um, and so uh, the threats start to change. When you put it out in the cloud now, all of a sudden it's available potentially in a way that the billions of places in the world can get to it versus if it's in your own data center and you're not even exposing it to the rest of the internet. So those are a couple different um, threat vectors that could uh, potentially be uh, uh, changed in those environments. But the overall process to think through what could go wrong. So think about a risk-based approach. Well, what could go wrong inside of uh, your data center that would allow your server to get compromised? Um, How do you manage that risk assessment? How do you take the results of that risk assessment and make sure that management knows about these? A problem a lot of companies have is they will they'll do a risk assessment or they'll know about a risk. You might have some individual contributor who doesn't get to talk to the C-level people every day and they're they're doing the daily work. They end up understanding that there's some kind of security flaw, security risk. They might need to get money to fix it. They might need to replace an entire system because it's unfixable in its current state and it's outdated equipment. So they might say, oh, I need an investment, $10,000 to fix this thing. And their boss says, we can't really put the money to that at this point. So now they have a risk. That risk isn't going to go away. But what happens is there's a lack of transparency at the top of the organization that if they knew that for $10,000 they could fix this risk that could otherwise turn into an exposure of their client's data, they might say $10,000, no big deal. Let's just, let's just take care of that. And um, that process to identify what could go wrong and then make that known to decision makers who actually hold the purse strings is something that uh, we help organizations figure out and, and talk through and understand how to do. 
when you're not managing your security program that way, no matter whether it's old technology, new technology, that process of finding things that could go wrong and then making decisions of what makes sense to, to fix or what makes sense to uh, accept as a risk, that doesn't really change over time. Yeah. So what what where my mind went during that answer was you're talking about a process and, and ideally this is something that's running in a kind of very standardized, uh, almost like automatic way in order to uh, continue to improve itself. But the other side of it is, do we have the capacity or the framework as an organization where someone at the lowest level can elevate an issue all the way to the C-suite when appropriate, mm-hmm. in an appropriate way? Really, to me, sounds kind of like what the aspiration is when you hear every single company talk about their culture. Oh my gosh, our culture is so great. We're you know, a relatively flat organization or this or that or the other thing. And Sometimes that feels just very hand wavy in general. It's like if everyone says their culture is great, then like how great could their culture actually be? It's like, you know, everyone thinks they're a great um, driver, above average driver or something like that. It's like that's just not statistically possible. But in the same vein, if that norm is established, that's not only going to be a, a norm established in the information security space. It's also going to be established in the, hey, there's this market opportunity. Mm-hmm. Hey, there's this hiring opportunity. Hey, there's this other opportunity in an organization that has those kind of open lines of communication. You're, you're right. The um, That culture is, is very important. And you'll see that uh, in those organizations. Like we write, if we're working for an organization that has that kind of culture, we find them to be a really ideal client because they're going to they're going to uh, accept that there might be ways to improve what they're doing, and people are open to it. Uh, we have a client, and after helping them get an uh, accredited or a certified security program in place, after several years, we've uh, sat in a great conversation this last year where the leader, one of the top leaders, the COO, had sat there and said. I understand there were a lot of risks this last year and not all these risks made visibility to my level. What can we do this year so that I can get a chance to hear more about those quicker and can make decisions because I can move money into that uh, part of the organization to fix that risk faster. And we can make decisions that otherwise folks may not realize there was an opportunity to change what their priorities were in order to fix a risk versus work on something that was uh, a product innovation. And so that culture of transparency and and balance um, really comes together for those companies to make them great. So you jump from so many different projects, client to client, project to project, as part of the the context of a business like Mm -hmm. this. When, you know, I I don't know if you necessarily use this um, phrase, but I've used it before. There's like this fractional C-suite type of business model. You're a fractional CMO, you're a fractional sales leader, you're a fractional CISO in in, in the case of your business. Um, What what do you do when it's not that like like so so everyone can you know smile and and kind of nod along when they visualize their ideal client or they point to the one in their portfolio of like man this one just you know they pay on time they do what we ask them to do and they you know bring new ideas to us in in a kind of positive way everyone can articulate that when you inevitably in business come into contact with the non-ideal client where the culture isn't actually right mm-hmm. what have you learned about changing the direction of the ship and you're never going to go 90 degrees as an outside vendor but sometimes three four five degrees of change 
really can be a significant difference if it's sold the right way in the context of that organization's culture. We've had clients that we've slowly let go over time and not gone back into because we've noticed that they haven't really fixed some of the core thinking. Yeah. Earlier when you said it all comes back to people, it is people. Yeah. And so some of our former clients may have leadership or had leadership that really wasn't uh, able to push the transparency to the top of the organization, get that buy-in. They wanted to do something, but the reason they wanted to do it wasn't because it was going to help their organization um, accelerate their security program. Uh, And I'm not sure what their reasons were, but we knew that it wasn't the best fit for us. We weren't really going to be able to help them. Uh, We've had other clients that we've come into, and they may have um, just hired a new head of security. And that new head of security now needs to start making changes. And um, in in that situation, I'm thinking about one uh, in particular the organization, you know, could be a path for failure if they didn't start teaching them. So we like to come in and help teach the new security person uh, how to talk to the organization, how to start creating a sense of uh, risk management, how to change it from them being the ones who are accountable if something went wrong to them facilitating the program that allows them to communicate uh, the kinds of things that could happen and bring the organization into a decision-making process so that they can uh, speak to it. I'm not sure if uh, that's a helpful answer. No, it it is helpful because I think that maybe in the earliest stages, it's inconceivable when you're just trying to get a business off the ground. You'll take any client. You're you're, going to say yes and yes, 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 because you're trying to help the business survive. But after a certain point, not even just for like your own quality of life and, and mental sanity, but for the long-term sustainability of the business, because you don't want to burn out your employees, mm-hmm. you don't want to uh, potentially get you know get a black mark through having a client that didn't do what you told them to do or isn't operating correctly, then have an issue, and that reflects p- poorly on you as a vendor. So I think that that's just an important lesson in business that's timeless when you're serving clients of being able to kind of sift and winnow through until you get to a portfolio of clients that really is aligned with what you're trying to do. Yeah, I think we've uh, kind of hit that right now in the last uh, couple of years. I mean, we started in 2017. Yeah. And the first couple of years, uh, we would uh, do work that we might not do these days. And uh, But then we have some clients that we still have from those very early days. And the ones that we still have, they're the ones that have really accepted change can continuously happen, continuous improvement of a security program is important and they know that and they want to keep pushing that through. So with clients like that, do you have a concept of land and expand? So for us with with Piper, what we we do is, you know, we have a client where the first year I think we made like 12 videos for them. The next year we made about 30 something. And then the following year we're contracted to make 84 videos Mm -hmm. with them. And that's just, they saw the value we executed and you know, their need kind of expands. In your context, how does that occur? Is that, you know, the business grew, so we have a broader scope of, you know, data assessment and training needs, or what does that look like? Yeah, we have uh, a couple clients that we've uh, ex- expanded over the years, and some of those we feel were might start to hit a peak. We've helped them build a security program to a degree where they can start putting their own internal resources at it. We don't know if we'll ever go away from them. We hope not. 
but we uh, do see them maybe backing off a little bit, allowing us to take our resources and, and find another ideal client like that. So uh, we might go into an organization, we'll start off with something as simple as a one-day workshop or a security program maturity assessment. Uh, both of those are tools they can do. Uh, one's more rapid where we help them understand high level what kind of uh, the one day workshop we help them understand high level what kind of security program risks they might have and then organize up a roadmap of things that we can help them with over time in order to uh, improve any organization large or small that needs to put in a uh, brand new security program it's not going to happen overnight you're going to need three months to kind of just organize things up maybe a couple years till it starts to operate effectively but immediately you want to help take care of the highest level risks and help them get those out of the way so that they aren't at uh, imminent threat and then help them slowly build up the ongoing uh, program and to us that's kind of the expanding within the organization some of our clients before we even do that first assessment they come in and they say uh, we we're pretty confident that we're going to hire you, hire CISO, after uh, we do that assessment to help us implement the roadmap of things you're going to tell us we need to do. And what does that look like over over time? And we let them know that in a lot of our clients, it's a multi-year effort. And we just chunk it out into small engagements and, and we just keep working with them. Right on. Well, uh, I'm excited for the kind of growth of the company that you've experienced and um, the success that you guys have already had. Joe, this has been fantastic. And I want to aim towards asking the standard last questions. Before we do that, anything else you were hoping to share today that I just didn't give you a chance to? We can uh, see where this kind of fits in, but we started talking a little bit about company's core values. And I wanted to share a little bit of what our core values are. Yeah. The word CISO, it comes from the 5S uh, manufacturing term that came out of, uh, I believe, Japan. And what CISO means, and not only does it sound like a chief information security officer, but CISO itself is uh, a term that means neat, clean, organized, easy to spot problems. And so that's one of our uh, values is we want a security program. We want to help our clients be able to quickly spot a, a problem with their security program very quickly so that they can fix it. And so that's one of our core values. Our other ones are curiosity. Uh, we want employees, comes back to the people who have that, they want to know how to pick the lock. They want to know how to uh, break the thing. They want to know how to find the problem so they can help fix it. And balance is another one of our core values. Uh, what we uh, think about there is not only could you and, uh, and some security uh, people that just want to come in and put all the security in place and they don't even care how that's going to affect the business but you really need to think about the business you want to think about the balance of security with making the business better because if, if security impedes the business from delivering to their customers it's not really going to help that client so we want to make sure that we bring in people that are are thinking that way and another part of balance is there's always the ups and downs and in security there's a lot of burnout and if you don't embrace and take advantage of the downs in order to take some time to yourself, that's that could be a problem. And so we want you to, to think about that. Is the burnout basically an effect of like if you're always standing watch and like kind of fully engaged that can drain the battery? It is. Um, there's a lot of times that it's Friday evening when we get a phone call from somebody because they think they have a security compromise. Mm. And that's when people want to start to take the break for the weekend and get away. You're absolutely right. Um, another balance item I like to think about is uh, short-term priorities 
And in security, you're always thinking about that next risk, but you have to balance that with long-term priorities. So those are the items that come out with uh, balance is not just thinking, what am I doing today, tomorrow, but what am I going to be doing in the next year? And what do I have to do to get ready for that? And then finally, entrepreneurial spirit. Uh, We want people who are uh, really passionate about building something great. And so those kind of values are the ones that we see in our own people and we see in the best uh, folks that we're trying to hire. And we also see that in our clients. Right on. Well, if folks want to learn more about CISO, about you connecting the digital world, what coordinates can we provide them? Uh, CISOLLC.com, S-E-I-S-O-L-L-C.com is our website. Uh, We also are uh, active on Facebook, Twitter, and uh, LinkedIn. We're going to link all of that in the show notes for this episode. You can find them at every episode of the show, goingdeepthere.com slash podcast, or in the app. We're probably listening to this right now. Before we let you go, though, Joe, I'd like to give you the mic one final time to issue an actionable personal challenge to the audience. Yeah, so... And we kind of covered this a little bit in and out of the conversation, but if you're handling other people's information or any sensitive information at all, you know, make sure you're deliberate about protecting it. And it doesn't have to be complex. You can conduct a risk assessment like we talked about, but to remove that industry speak, really just ask yourself, what could go wrong? You know, just ask yourself, what could go wrong? How realistic is it that that could happen? And, you know, how could, how bad could it be if that did happen? And now you have your, a sense of the impact and the probability of a risk that could happen to that information. And, um, you know, if you're hired by somebody to process information, make sure you're protecting it. Right on. I love it. And I, 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 to me, this has been a real good point of reflection to how things really have changed in terms of the dispersion of your data everywhere as a consumer and conversely, um, the responsibility that those entities have to protect it. You know, it used to be you'd walk into, you know, the pet store and buy some dog food with a, you know, cash or a credit card. And now you're buying it online and giving your shipping address and all that other stuff to people. So you got to be, got to be mindful. Absolutely. All right. Well, Joe, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I really enjoyed talking with you. Hey, it's been great. Thank you so much. We just went deep with Joe Wynn. Hope you're out there. Has a fantastic day. Thanks for listening. Connect with Aaron on Twitter and Instagram at AaronWatson59.